really is good to be gathered uh, once again, isn't it, and to have the opportunity to, to look into God's Word, and we're going to continue this morning in our study of uh, the writings of Solomon, so we're in the book of Proverbs. But before we dive in, um, let me just get you thinking about something here. You know, when we attend a memorial service, a funeral service, you know, often there you will hear eulogies, and chances are pretty good that everybody in this room at one time or another has heard a eulogy where uh, a phrase was used something like this, hers was a life well lived, or his was a life well lived. Well, that kind of begs the question, what exactly is a life well lived? Well, <clears throat> when you think about what are the things that characterize uh, a life well lived, in a sense, that's really the central theme of the book of Proverbs, because in it, we find instruction in wisdom. Well, what is wisdom? Well, we've talked about that before. You know, wisdom is living life skillfully as God intended it. Living life skillfully as God intended it. Well, last week, Bo led us through chapter 1, and there we found that right at the opening verses, Solomon tells us the purpose in writing, namely, to know wisdom and instruction to receive instruction in wise behavior. So Solomon is telling us, this is what he's writing this book for, is to give us instruction in wisdom. And then we saw last week that the key to acquiring knowledge and wisdom is given in verse 7. It reads like this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so in chapter 1, verse 7, under the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Solomon uh, was writing the starting point on this path of growth to wisdom. To wisdom. And it begins with uh, this concept of the fear of the Lord. It begins with a relationship with the Lord marked by respect for him and obedience to him. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's having awe toward God, and then because of uh, that respect for him, that awe toward him, uh, having a desire to obey him and being committed to obeying him. Well, if you put it in New Testament terms, the starting point for acquiring wisdom, uh, we could use the term justification. It's our being made right with God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's when we first come to fear God. That's when we come to hold God in utter respect and in awe is, is when we come to faith in Christ. Well, the major focus in the book of Proverbs then proceeds from that starting point, proceeds from justification to our sanctification, to our spiritual growth, to learn how to live life as God intends us to live. So, in our study last week in chapter 1, we went on to see that uh, Solomon presented a metaphor by personifying wisdom as a woman. You remember that kind of toward the end of the, of the passage? He portrayed wisdom as uh, calling uh, from the street, calling to all who would, who would listen, all who would come uh, to receive wisdom from her. And as Lady Wisdom continues her discourse, she concludes with these words of motivation. Look at chapter 1, uh, verses 32 and 33 that we ended with last time. So here's Lady Wisdom speaking, and she says, For the waywardness of the naive will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. So, Lady Wisdom here, she's kind of laid out two options, right? You can ignore her and face death and destruction, or you can listen to her and choose life and security. So, how are those for options? <laughs> you know, it's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? The path of wisdom is clearly the path to take. But the question becomes, well, how do we take that path? How do we get on that path and, and, and progress in it? How do we move beyond the starting point and proceed uh, down that course? Well, we find the answer to that question in chapter 2, the chapter that we're going to consider today. And the theme of chapter 2 can be expressed like this. God is the only source of wisdom, and through it, he provides great protection. God is the only source of wisdom, and through it, he provides great protection. You know, look once again at chapter 1, verse 33. 
Lady Wisdom calls out to us to, to listen to her, and the result will be what? What does verse 33 say will be the result if you listen to wisdom? You'll dwell securely. You'll be at ease from the dread of, of evil. So the idea is if we listen to wisdom, we'll find security in it. We'll find protection in it. And consistent with the pattern of each of the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, what we find here in chapter 2 is uh, Solomon is writing to a son. So this is kind of a father-son uh, here. Son, let me, let me teach you. It is uh, the voice of, of wisdom that we're hearing here. And he begins by pointing to the fact that acquiring wisdom is not something that is intuitive. It's not something that can be self-taught. It's not something that you find in self-help books. And it doesn't come with ease. Instead, it's acquired only through substantial personal effort. But at the same time, that effort results in great reward. And so we find in verses 1 through 5 that growth and wisdom requires much effort but yields great reward. And so as I read the opening verses, notice that this passage offers three if statements. So keep an eye out for that. Watch for the if statements. And then it's followed by a then in verse 5. So listen to verses 1 through 5. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Now, if you've ever thumbed through uh, course descriptions, you know, maybe through a, a college catalog or uh, maybe a, a list of continuing, educa continuing education courses, easy for me to say, right? If you've done that, if you've gone through course descriptions, chances are you've run across courses that have prerequisites. They have things that you, you must complete before you can take that particular uh, class. Well, what we find here in verses 1 through 4 is something like that. Here we find the pre prerequisites for obtaining wisdom. Just how does a person come to know wisdom? Does it come by experimenting with different options and life choices that the world offers uh, and then deciding through painful experience which ones to avoid in the future? You know, sadly, there are many people who try that path. You know, picture a, a child who is raised with parents who uh, do not provide any discipline, who do not provide any instruction. Perhaps you know families where uh, that situation exists. What tends to happen to that child as they go through life? You know, typically it's, it's a disaster, just uh, one uh, bad situation after another. Well, as Bo reminded us last week from Proverbs 22, verse 15, it says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And the point of that statement is that all of us enter this life as fools, as rebels against all authority, wanting simply to pursue our own desires without any outside interference. It's certainly not from God. It's one way to describe our sin nature, and that's why we desperately need a Savior to rescue us and to give us a new heart, a heart of willing obedience. But following that rescue, we still need to be taught how to pursue the path of obedience, and that's why we need training from outside ourselves. And so Solomon begins this chapter making that very point in verse 1. The first prerequisite of wisdom is this, that growth in wisdom requires revelation from God. Look again at verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you. Receive my words, Solomon says to his son. Why? Well, because his son, along with all of us, needs to humbly receive instruction from one who has at least a measure of the wisdom of God. All of us need to be taught by someone or some group of people uh, who are more mature in the faith than we are, those who are able to point us to God's word, which ultimately is the only source of true wisdom. Why do I say that? Well, look down at verse 6. Verse 6 reads, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. 
So how does the Lord give wisdom? How does he give us wisdom? Through his word. Yeah, through the scriptures, right? That's his revelation to us. So the instruction that we receive must always come uh, from the word of God. Training and wisdom requires God's revelation. That's why it makes no sense to seek counsel from those who are not believers, those who operate by human viewpoint. It just it makes no sense to go to a person like that with a life issue and say, I don't know what to do. We need the word of God. That's the only source of wisdom. Well, you'll notice, too, in the second half of verse 1, that instruction in godly wisdom must be treasured. It must be stored away as something that is of great value that we can draw upon when the need arises. He says, and treasure my commandments within you. Learning and applying wisdom is not an instant process. We need to store away that, that wisdom so that we can draw on it when situations arise. So the first prerequisite to growth and wisdom, it's to receive what God has revealed to us in Scripture and to treasure it, storing it away so it's available uh, for appropriate situations. But growing in wisdom requires more than that. There's a second requirement that's offered here, and that is careful listening. Look at the uh, first part of verse 2. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Solomon is basically saying here, listen up. <laughs> you know, he's here, he's talking to his son, and he's saying, listen, make, make your ear attentive. Uh, it's important to pay attention uh, to what is being said here. So the point is to give careful listening, not to what the world says, but to wisdom, that which God has revealed. But you'll notice that there's more involved than just careful listening to uh, the words or, of God and the, the reading of them on a page. A third prerequisite is this, genuine effort to understand. Again, continuing in verse 2, incline your heart to understanding. In our use of language, we tend to think of the heart as being the seat of emotions. You know, I feel things in my heart. But in the Hebrew way of looking things, when Hebrews, in the word, uh, the word heart in the Hebrew language, really reflects the mind and the will. And that's what he's talking about here. He, you could think of this as incline your mind, incline your decision-making process to understanding. And so this verse tells us that we must spend time reflecting on key verses, turning them over and over in our mind, meditating on them uh, until we really understand God's intention for us. Commentator Derek Kidner expresses it this way. He writes, The search for wisdom is not one of free speculation, but of treasuring and exploring received teachings so as to penetrate to their principles. We need to think deeply about what the scriptures are saying in order to discern what we need to do. So, so far we've seen that growth and wisdom requires receiving and absorbing what God has revealed through listening carefully and making the effort to truly understand God's principles. But in addition to that, we must make a verbal plea to receive it. Look at verse 3. For if you cry for discernment, Lift your voice for understanding. So the picture here is of one who's making an impassioned plea, one who is saying, I need wisdom, and they're crying out for it. And the implication is, cry out to whom? Where are you going to go for, for that wisdom? If you're crying for wisdom, and it's an impassioned plea, to whom are you crying? To God, right? Yeah, the implication is we need to make our plea to God. James 1.5 reads, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So we need to earnestly pray for wisdom. Furthermore, look at the second half of the verse. It calls us to ask questions. It says, Lift your voice for understanding. You know, we sometimes joke about men who, when lost, uh, will do anything but stop for directions. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of laugh about that. But uh, the reality is that often 
we get into situations where our, our pride will not allow us to ask questions. We don't want to uh, appear to be uh, ignorant or somewhat out of control. And it seems like this attitude that insists, I've got this, has become very much a part of our culture. And there isn't much respect given to one who reveals their ignorance by asking lots of questions. But this verse makes it clear that the path of wisdom is one of inquiry rather than one of bluffing, <laughs> pretending that we know things that we really don't, or of prideful silence, of just you know, not, not asking. We need to use our voices in pursuit of wisdom. Asking when we don't understand is a good thing. Well, then verse 4 presents a final prerequisite for wisdom. And here we are called to have diligence in seeking it. Verse 4. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures. So that's kind of the last of our if statements. So imagine, if you will, someone who discovers that they purchased a winning lottery ticket. Since uh, Pastor Tom referred to the lottery this morning, I figure I can refer to the lottery also. <laughs> but imagine for a moment somebody who has, has they, they've seen the number displayed on the TV screen and they know, oh, that's my number. They know they've got that lottery ticket, but they can't find it. That's going to result in a frantic search, is it not? You know, knowing that you've got something of, of great value and uh, then frantically searching to find it. Well, similarly, here in verse 4, where wisdom is compared to silver and to hidden treasure, the idea is that wisdom has such great value that uh, the effort to find it should be no less than the effort one would make to find anything of great value. The point is that we're never to have an attitude of, of indifference toward wisdom. It's not a, a case of, well, take it or leave it. No, wisdom is something that we need to treasure, that we need to uh, pursue. We need to work hard at it. So, just to recap, Solomon has outlined the prerequisites for acquiring wisdom. Number one, we must have revelation. Wisdom doesn't come naturally from just going out into the world and listening to what the world says and trying different things. We have to have instruction from the Word of God. Secondly, we must pursue it with everything we have. Notice the words that he uses here. He's talked about our ears. He's talked about our hearts and minds. He's talked about our voices. Everything we have needs to be devoted to uh, acquiring wisdom. And then lastly, we must search for it, just as we would search for anything that is of great value. But what's the payoff for all this effort? Well, that's given to us in verse 5. The unequaled value of wisdom is to understand what it is to fear and know God. So look at verse 5. Once we've met the if requirements in verses 1 through 4, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. So to grow in wisdom is to understand more and more clearly just what it means to fear the Lord. You know, sometimes somebody might ask us, well, what does it mean to fear the Lord? And we have to stop and think, okay, yeah, what exactly does that mean? What this passage is, is telling us is uh, as we grow in wisdom, as we acquire wisdom, we will have a deeper and deeper and deeper understanding of what it means to fear the Lord. In other words, we will appreciate uh, his, his character. We will see him in great awe. We will see him with great respect. And when that happens, our desire to obey him increases. That's what it means uh, to grow in fearing the Lord. Then you will discern, you will understand the fear of the Lord. And then he goes on to say, and discover the knowledge of God. So in the second half of the verse, we learn that wisdom uh, also enables us to truly know God, to know and appreciate his character, to know him personally. And that's really an amazing thought, isn't it? To think that that. Every one of us in this room has the ability to know the creator of the universe personally and to be known by him. The Apostle Paul expressed very clearly the truth that there is nothing more important than knowing God. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. This is in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul writes, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ. There's nothing more important uh, than knowing God. So as we live our lives, <laughs> we need to keep that in mind. We need to acquire wisdom, and when we do that, we will grow in our fear of the Lord, and we will grow in our knowledge of him. Well, thus far, Solomon has taught us that growth and wisdom requires much effort, but it yields great reward. And the reward of truly understanding uh, of what it is to fear God and of uh, growing in our knowledge of God. You know, perhaps as we went through verses 1 through 5, you may have noticed the pronouns that are used here. Again and again, it, it says you, your, you, your. It's, it's addressed uh, directly to uh, the recipient. You know, Solomon writing to his son, and in this case, the you is, is also to us. It's what you must do and what you will gain. Well, in the next section, in verses 6 through 8, Solomon keys off his reference to the Lord in verse 5, and he shifts his focus entirely to God. And here he describes the Lord's provision and blessing. Notice as I read that the pronouns have shifted from you and yours to him and he as Solomon turns his focus to the Lord. Verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. So here we find out what God does. Again, the Lord alone is the source of all wisdom. Verse 6, this is probably the key verse of this chapter. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Clearly, there's no room here for human philosophies or human viewpoint thinking or uh, social media posts. <laughs> if you want to know how life is to be lived, there's only one valid source, and that's uh, the Lord himself. You might remember in his response to Job, you remember at the end of the book, uh, the Lord offered this assessment of man's wisdom. So here's, here's God talking to, to Job, and he poses this question. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? That's God's assessment of, of Job. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? That's what human wisdom amounts to. Human viewpoint reasoning, human viewpoint wisdom can be described best as it's words without knowledge that darken counsel. Instead of being helpful, it's exactly the opposite. So when it comes to skill in living life, human viewpoint thinking is useless. God alone is the source of true wisdom. But also, his supply of wisdom is inexhaustible. Look again at the first half of verse 7. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. So here we have a picture of the Lord storing up wisdom for those who are upright. Uh, you know, here it's, it, it's not those who are self-righteous, but those who have God's imputed righteousness. They're upright because God has worked in their hearts, has changed their hearts. And that sound wisdom is stored up, ready and available for those who seek it. And the supply is inexhaustible. But the Lord does even more for those for whom the pursuit of wisdom is a priority. You'll notice next that he gives protection to those who live according to wisdom. Second half of verse 7 says this, He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. As we learned from Bo last week, the book of Proverbs uh, describes the, the fool as being one who rejects the word of God, living life as though God doesn't exist. They're the person who has absolutely no use for the commands of God. He's entirely on his own and clearly is headed for destruction. But here in verses 7 and 8, we find a person who is just the opposite, one who walks in integrity, one who stays on the paths of justice, one who walks in the path of the godly. And what does the Lord do for such a person? He's their shield. He protects them. Ultimately, in an in an in ultimately in an eternal sense, 
uh, guarding their path and preserving their way. Now, that's not to say that life for the believer is easy. Uh, you know, quite the opposite. The Lord brings challenges into our lives on a regular basis, uh, things which he allows for our benefit that grow us in perseverance and that teach us to trust him. But through it all, he provides his protection. He provides his security. And that's what uh, the second half of verse 7 and uh, verse 8 are telling us. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, he wrote, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, we, we are protected, we are secure because of what he has done for us. Well, having explained that wisdom is the Lord's great provision and blessing given to us, next uh, Solomon turns his attention more specifically to wisdom's value for living. You'll notice that once again Solomon makes a shift in pronouns. So he started out with you and yours, and then he shifted to he and him, and now he shifts back to uh, the, the pronoun you. He's talking here about uh, what, you know, he's just given us kind of a description of what God does in, in providing wisdom for us. Uh, but now, what will that wisdom do for you? This is kind of what he's, he's answering in this section. Well, first of all, in verse 9, we read that it, it provides a clear understanding of what is right and just and fair. Verse 9. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. You know, we live in a postmodern culture that claims that everything is relative. There are no absolutes. I mean, that's, you'll, you'll hear that all day, every day, uh, you know, for various forms of, of media in our, in our culture. That's certainly the, the thought of, of our age. There are no absolutes. You just do whatever works for you. What you want to do is fine. What I want to do is fine. But what a lie that is. God has indeed established absolute standards in his law. And verse 9 makes clear uh, that it's by the wisdom of God uh, that we are able to go to the scriptures and understand what is right and what is just and what is equitable so that we can know what the path of our life should look like and to, to understand that from God's perspective. So that's one thing he does for us. <laughs> you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. You'll know the right thing to do. What else does he do for us through wisdom? Well, in verse 10, we read that it changes us from the inside out, bringing satisfaction like nothing else. Look at verse 10. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. True wisdom will penetrate deeply. It'll become kind of the center of our thinking and of our decision-making process. And the knowledge uh, that you are in God's will, that when you know that you are doing things that are pleasing to him, that you are doing what he requires of you, uh, pr produces a satisfaction to the soul that is beyond anything else. Have you experienced that satisfaction? Sometimes you've taken a step, maybe when you're in a challenging situation and you know that doing the right thing is going to be the difficult path, but you take it. When you do that, that, that sense of satisfaction of knowing that you're doing exactly what God requires uh, is satisfying beyond anything else. But wisdom from God does even more than that. It also prevents us from stumbling. Look at verse 11. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. You know, these days, it's uh, all too common for scam artists to send misleading emails and text messages that are designed to try to entice us to, to click on a link or to uh, give personal information uh, out or send some money to somebody without realizing that this is a a scam. Um, I bet if I took a survey, I, there probably isn't a person in this room who hasn't 
uh, gotten an email or a text message or something along those lines of somebody uh, trying to, uh, to mislead you, somebody trying to, to trick you. You know, often the scammers will disguise themselves as legitimate businesses to entice people to take the bait. You open the email, and there it looks like it's something from UPS, or it looks like something from FedEx. It, you know, even has their logo on it and everything. But <laughs> uh, beware, uh, these people are very good at knowing how to uh, entice people to take the bait. So it takes discernment to be able to distinguish that uh, which is legitimate from that which is uh, a trick, that which is a scam, that which is a trap. But it isn't just when we are on the computer or on our smartphones that we need to be cautious. Life itself uh, comes at us very fast, doesn't it? You know, when you think about your daily life, it consists of a constant stream of little decisions requiring us to make choices. Do you ever think about that? All day, every day, you are making choices. In fact, you're making choices right this minute of, you know, what's going, what's going through my mind? What am I choosing to think about? Um, we think about what we're going to do now versus what's going to wait till later. We think about uh, what we're going to allow ourselves to be exposed to. What programs am I going to watch or what am I not going to watch? What am I going to read or not going to read? We think about what we're going to say and we think about how we're going to say it. We think about how to respond to something that we like. How am I going to respond to that? We think about how we're going to respond to something that I don't like. How am I going to respond to that? Uh, we choose what we think about. We choose when we're going to say yes and when we're going to say no. We choose you know, where that dividing line is. This is okay. This is a yes. This is not okay. This is a no. All day, every day, you are making decisions. And when we make little choices every day, the question is, how do we know we're making good choices and we're not falling prey to the pull of our flesh or the devil or the world? Because just like the scammers that are out there sending those emails, there's all kinds of influences uh, trying to, to pull us in the wrong direction. What's the point? The point is we need wisdom, and we need it moment by moment. And here in verse 11, we find that the assurance that if we are pursuing the wisdom God supplies, it will guard us and watch over us to prevent us from stumbling. Again, verse 11 Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. That's what wisdom does for us. So, <laughs> you know, you just think about what Solomon has been saying here. It's, it's no wonder that he says that we should be seeking, uh, seeking wisdom just like we would seek silver or hidden treasure. But what does wisdom do for a person when it's applied to their daily living? You know, what exactly is the benefit, or what exactly does it look like? Well, next, Solomon offers two illustrations that drive home the point uh, that wisdom really does bring protection. And the first is that God gives wisdom to deliver you from evil men. Look at verses uh, 12 through 15. So kind of the starting point is back in verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom, and then in verse 12, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So here we find the description of those from whom we need to be delivered. Why? <laughs> Because verse 12 tells us, theirs is the way of evil. In other words, this is not describing a person who occasionally stumbles and, and, and chooses to do something wrong. What he's talking about here is the person whose way, whose path is consistently characterized by the pursuit of that which God has labeled as sin. This is, this is the, the rebel, the habitual uh, sinner. One way to identify that person is through his speech <laughs> because notice how he continues here in verse 12 his speech is twisted verse 12 to deliver you from the way of evil from the man who speaks perverse things do you notice the contrast from 
uh, what we read here in verse 12 with uh, what we had read at the beginning of the chapter. Notice at the beginning of the chapter, he says, My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. So there's one voice. <laughs> but rather than offering words of wisdom, the evil man is doing just the opposite. He's speaking perverse things as he takes the truth and he twists it for his evil purposes, trying to suck you in. Well, in addition, evil men intentionally depart from God's... Verse 13. Uh, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. So here's a description of those who know the truth. They know what God requires, but who choose to abandon righteousness and instead pursue their own dark path contrary to what they know to be good and right. But not only are they in rebellion against God, they actually revel in their sin, verse 14, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil. Does that sound like the culture that we live in? <laughs> you know, we live in a time and place where people commit sins that God has made clear are an abomination to him. Uh, and what do they do? They publicly declare that they're proud of it, and they rejoice in the evil. That what they're doing, they, they say, oh, this, this is the way to go. This is what everybody should do. This is what everybody should think. And then they attack anyone who questions them. That's the person that's being described here in verse 14. Well, verse 15 concludes the description of evil men by making the point that they cannot be trusted whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So what's going to be the outcome if you align yourself with such people? It's the path of disaster, isn't it? But the point of verse 12 is that wisdom will deliver us from such men by enabling us to discern their crooked and devious ways. You know, just like it's necessary to have the ability to, to spot an email scam when you see one, it's necessary for all of us when we encounter somebody who uh, kind of fits this description and who is uh, a rebel against God's will and they're trying to draw you along with them, we need to be able to discern that and stay away from it. Well, that's the protection that wisdom uh, provides. But not only will wisdom deliver us uh, from evil men, uh, the second illustration tells us that wisdom will provide deliverance from the immoral woman as well. And while this passage is written in the context of Solomon instructing his son regarding immoral women, keep in mind that the descriptions and principles here are just as applicable to an immoral man seeking his way with a vulnerable woman. It really works both ways. Well, just as he did with his first illustration, Solomon once again opens with the statement that the Lord gives wisdom to deliver. Again, if you look at verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom, and then look at verse 16, to deliver you from the strange woman. And he goes on, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. So you'll notice in verse 16 the description of this gal. She's referred to as a strange woman. Well, you may be thinking, well, I know some strange women and I stay away from them. <laughs> but the word translated strange here, it doesn't mean odd. What it means is foreign. This is talking about foreign women. Well, does that mean from somebody that's outside of Israel? Well, no, that's not the use of foreign here. And we can tell that from the context. This is not a foreign woman, meaning that she's from some other country. Rather, she is foreign in the sense that she is operating outside of God's covenant law. She dwells outside of God's covenant law. She is one who knows what God requires of her, but she refused to refuses to obey him. Uh, she is a rebel at heart. And he goes on to make the point that she uses her words to obtain what she wants. Again, look at verse 16. 
to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. So this is the gal who was a smooth and enticing talker. She knows what she wants, and she uh, knows how to use words to entice the unwary. And then in verse 17, it affirms that she violates her marriage covenant and the covenant of God, verse 17, that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. <clears throat> well, you notice at the end of verse 16, it used the word uh, adulteress in the second half of that verse. And actually, if you have a New American Standard, you'll see a marginal note there. Actually, it's a repeat of the same phrase, strange woman. Uh, the verse, if it's uh, rendered uh, literally, would read, to deliver you from the strange woman, uh, from the strange woman who flatters with her words. But here in verse 17, it's clear that it's an adulteress who is unfaithful to her husband. And that's why they, they changed the, the translation in verse 16, I guess, to make that clearer. But certainly verse 17 makes it clear that that's who she is. The phrase, the companion of her youth, that's a phrase that's consistently used in the Old Testament to uh, refer to uh, a marriage partner. So she has forsaken her marriage partner. And then the second half of verse 17 makes the point even more plain as it states that she forgets the covenant of her God. So here it becomes clear that she is an Israelite. The covenant that she's broken could be a reference to her marriage covenant because she's broken that by committing adultery, or it could refer to the seventh of the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. So she's, she's broken the covenant with God, she's broken the covenant with her, her husband. Both are certainly true. And what does she have to offer? Well, wisdom tells us that she offers the path to death. Verse 18. For her house sinks down to death, and her tracks lead to the dead. Commentators have debated the precise meaning of the first half of verse 18, that the Hebrew there is just a little bit hard to, to fit the pieces together. But the idea that she dwells in the house of death that to, to enter her house and receive what she's offering is to enter the house of death. That, that really seems to be the central idea here. And the second half of the verse adds emphasis. To follow her path of sexual sin is to take the path that leads straight to the realm of the dead. So the idea seems to be her house is the house of death. And when you go there <laughs> you know, to, to participate, uh, you're following her tracks and they, they lead to the realm of the dead. But even worse, she offers a one-way ticket to eternal destruction. Verse 19, none who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. That's a sobering verse, isn't it? <laughs> well, this verse is not saying that anyone who falls into sexual sin will never be able to repent. That, that's not the point of the verse but it expresses the general truth that sexual sin is strongly entangling and it's difficult to turn away from. And here the idea is that one who continually, is go, continually goes to her house is doomed. I like the note in the MacArthur Study Bible. It puts it this way. The irreversible nature of continuing in this sin points to its devastating consequences. So it's talking about somebody that he, he just keeps on with, with this woman. It's continual practice. The irreversible nature of continuing in this sin points to its devastating consequences. It leads to physical death, and after that comes the reality of eternal death. But thank the Lord for his wisdom. <laughs> Again, you look back at, at, at verse 2. Uh, excuse me, verse 6. Look at verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. And then we saw in verse uh, 12, the Lord gives wisdom to deliver you from the way of evil. And we saw in verse 16, the Lord gives wisdom to deliver you from the strange woman. Whether we encounter evil, immoral men or women, the Lord will deliver us if we seek and heed his wisdom. And that brings us to the summary that Solomon provides to close this chapter. 
Here he describes two paths and two outcomes. So what do we need to do in light of everything that Solomon has said here? Verse 20. So you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. Again, that kind of feeds off of verse 6. Verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom, and then we pick up here at verse 20, so that you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. That's what wisdom does for us. It's not complicated, is it? We need to walk in the way of good men. That is, we need to live according to God-given wisdom, and we need to hold to that path as fitting for those who know Jesus Christ and belong to him. That's what wisdom will do for us. It'll keep us on that path. And then he goes on to give the result. In verse 21, he says, For the upright will live in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. Well, here Solomon makes reference to the covenant blessing promised to Israel in which obedience to God's law would result in permanence in the promised land. Well, for us, there isn't real, any real estate that's, that's involved here. It's the idea of being under God's great blessing in a much more general sense. But to reject God's wisdom is to take the other path it's the path in which God's judgment will be received. Look at verse 22. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. So here's just the opposite. Once again, Solomon makes reference to, to God's covenant with Israel, the promise uh, that they would be in the land, would be secure in the land, would remain in the land. And now here's just the opposite, that when God's judgment comes to those who spurn wisdom, uh, they will be uprooted from the land. In other words, to reject God's wisdom is to take the path of disaster. That's, that's really the point that he's making here. It's a choice of do you want blessing or do you want disaster? So that's Proverbs chapter 2. Brian, were you going to say something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's very true. You know, sometimes when we start listening to uh, uh, the world's voice, the worldly wisdom, and we start trying different things, <laughs> the Lord lets us stumble and fall, and it's, and it's, it's really through his mercy uh, that then he, he brings us back and, and shows us uh, the right course and where we belong. <laughs> well, by way of application, I just have uh, a couple of points here. It's really kind of a summary of what we've talked about. And the first point is, not surprisingly, that acquiring wisdom takes real effort. We saw that at the beginning of this chapter. You know, wisdom isn't something that you just kind of stumble across. It, it doesn't just, you know, come to you uh, with, with ease. You remember he talked about, we've got to receive his words. We've got to, we've got to listen. We've got to take it to heart. We've got to uh, treasure it as silver. Um, that all these things are involved. It takes real effort to do that. And we do that through receiving, studying, meditating, and applying God's word. And it brings great value. There's just no substitute for being in the scriptures, saturating yourself with the scriptures, and, and really digging into it and thinking about what is this really saying? What are the principles here? And how does this apply in my life? Wisdom takes effort, but it's worth the effort. The, the payback is, is immense. Secondly, be careful who you listen to. Many in this world claim to be knowledgeable and wise, but God is the only source of true wisdom and knowledge. There's experts out there everywhere that, that claim all kinds of things, but we need to filter everything through the Scripture, through what God says, because God alone is the source of true wisdom. And then lastly, through imparting his wisdom, God provides real security and protection from those who would lead you into sin. There are people out there who would take great delight in causing you to stumble and causing you to go down a path that you have no business going down. But if we are in the scriptures and if we are obeying the scriptures and if we are seeking God's wisdom, 
if we're having a decision to make and we are praying, calling out, Lord, give me wisdom. I don't know what to do. Uh, the Lord will, will honor that. He will, he will answer that prayer. And he will guard us. He will uh, protect us. He'll give us security uh, through his wisdom. Isn't that an amazing gift you know, to, to think that, that God would do this for us? Um, again, you know, he could have just, just given us forgiveness of sins and then left us on our own, uh, but he didn't. His desire is that we grow in sanctification, that we grow in Christ-likeness, that we grow in wisdom. And chapter 2 certainly gives us some, some, some thoughts about how to proceed, how to start on that path, and how to continue on that path, and then the great benefit of being on it. So with that, let me close us in prayer. Next week, we will be in chapter 3, if you want to read ahead. And uh, Solomon has much more to say on the subject of wisdom. So let's pray. Father, as we bow before you, we do acknowledge that uh, we desperately need your wisdom. Uh, Father, we know that uh, we came into this world as fools, uh, as those who uh, spurn authority, as those who uh, try to live in a way that uh, denies even your existence. Uh, and yet, Father, in your mercy, you have seen fit to draw us to Jesus Christ, uh, to give us new hearts. And, uh, Father, we're eternally grateful for that. We just thank you for uh, what we've seen this morning in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 in our, in our prayer time and uh, uh, the incredible spiritual blessings, the countless spiritual blessings that you've given us in Christ. But, Father, we recognize that uh, having made that starting point, uh, we also need to, to grow. We need to grow in our knowledge of you, in our understanding of you. We need to grow in our fear of you. Uh, Father, we need to understand more and more clearly uh, who you really are, what you're really like, and what our relationship is with you. Uh, and so, Father, I just thank you so much that you have uh, given us these words of instruction in Proverbs chapter 2. We thank you for the challenge that's here to work hard in pursuing wisdom, and we thank you for the reminder that in it uh, you bring great benefit, you gr bring great protection, great security. And for that, Father, we are eternally grateful. So we pray that even this week, as we make moment-by-moment -moment decisions, as we go through our day and go through our week, uh, we pray that uh, you would uh, remind us of what you have said in your Scripture and that you would keep us on the path of righteousness. And we pray that we would do that uh, entirely uh, to your glory, uh, that your name would be exalted in each of us. And so, Father, we give you thanks uh, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.